Well, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice rejoice and be glad in it. Hey, some days are easier to rejoice than others. Amen? Amen. We are going back into our series in the book of Romans. We've taken a bit of a hiatus, but over the past year to year and a half, we've been in the book of Romans through chapters 1 through 11 so far, and it's very fitting that we start today on chapter 12. But I want to bring us into a little bit of what is going on. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, which is just the center of the Roman Empire, right? They're they're the apex. They're the lead dog. Uh, The Roman Empire had control over so much, and the church was growing uh, people were coming to Christ. The gospel was spreading like a, like a vaccine to the pandemic of sin, right? And people are finding Christ. And this church in Rome had Jews and Gentiles. And so Paul is writing to both. There's a lot of diversity. And Paul sees that these two camps are opposing one another. As we see in so many different letters in the scriptures, right? In Galatians, in Corinthians, Paul sees division and he talks about it and he tries to address it. And he knows the only thing that can bring healing and unity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We we also have these other religions and pagan gods, and so there's just a distortion that's happening in the church about who Jesus Christ really is. And so Paul writes the most theologically dense letter, of full of doctrine, so people would truly know who Jesus is. And this is the message they need to hear, and it's the message our world needs to hear. In light of all that's going around in culture, we need to be united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are in Romans chapter 12 this morning. If you turn there, I want to invite you to go ahead and stand. We're going to be in verses 1 through 8, but we're going to start out right now with verses 1 and 2. The Lord says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, Father, wow, what a rich uh, text that we get to start studying this morning. God, when Paul wrote all this doctrine and theology, it was not meant to just stay in our heads. It was meant to tune our hearts to trust and obey you and draw us into action. So Father, would your holy scriptures do that this morning? God, would you be magnified in all of our lives? And as we gather, would a supernatural work of your spirit happen in this very moment, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, Our main idea this morning is to let faith in God's mercies activate a life of ministry. To let faith in God's mercies activate uh, a life of ministry. And no, I don't mean vocational ministry. I'm not saying all of you should uh, sign up to work at a church. Uh, The word ministry actually comes from a Greek word that means to serve. That, that we would have a life activated of serving God and serving one another. That's what our text is about this morning. And Paul starts out by saying, therefore. And whenever you see it, therefore, it's a transition moment, and you need to ask, what is it there for? Right? What just happened? And in chapters 1 through 11, Paul lays out uh, a lot of mercies of God. And before we read about what God is calling us to do, we need to know the means by which we are to do it. 
And the means is incredibly, incredibly important because the calling is incredibly, incredibly difficult. And the means by which we're to do it is by the mercies of God. Don't just pass over that statement. That's a very important statement. So I wanted to remind us what some of these mercies of God are. I have a slide here to just kind of reveal some of these pictures. Uh, Justification from the penalty of sin. That's a mercy Paul brought us into in Romans chapter 3, verses 24. That we are now right, judged right by a holy God. Not because of our actions, but because of what Jesus has done. Uh, God's love has been poured into our hearts. Romans 5, 5. This amazing supernatural experience where God's love is in our hearts. Uh, We are now placed under grace, the new covenant of grace, not the law. We are no longer right with God by following Old Testament rituals. Uh, Adoption in Jesus. Uh, God is now our daddy, right? We get to be a part of his family, enjoy his riches, his inheritance. He didn't just save us. He said, come join my family. And then in Romans 8, 32, we can have assurance that nothing can take away, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And these are just a handful of mercies that Paul has unpacked in the book of Romans, that God's rescued us from this life of sin and darkness and given us life and life abundantly. And so before he goes to chapter 12, or at the very beginning of chapter 12, he is now appealing and urging Christ followers to be motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ to activate a life of sacrificial ministry. Let's press on. By the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice because it is holy and pleasing to God. Paul gives us an action step. There's a goal. Present your body. Now, he's not just talking about your physical person, right? Well, what does your body uh, capture? It captures your mind, your heart, your soul, all of it. God's saying, uh, present your entire life as a sacrifice. I'm going to give us four steps to activating a life of ministry this morning that we find in our text. The first one is present your entire life as a sacrifice. He, he goes for the jugular right away. Present everything you are, <clears throat> excuse me, and everything you do and place it before God on an altar. We just sang about this, right? On the altar of my life, Christ be magnified. Place everything you have. And in Scripture, we see instances where sacrifices are deemed good by God or not. In Genesis 4, we read about Cain and Abel. And then in Hebrews 11, the author circles back and talks about the sacrifice of Abel, that he gave the first fruits, that it was a a valuable sacrifice that cost him something, and he did it by faith. And Cain's was not. And this idea of sacrifice would have been really, really familiar to the Jewish Christian audience, a little less familiar to Gentiles, but still they would have understand some of these cultural practices that had happened around them. So what does Paul mean for us to sacrifice? Because that word, we hear it a little bit differently than, than they would have heard it. Here's a, a stab I took at uh, a definition that Paul is trying to say. And sacrifice is to give up oneself for someone of greater value. To give up oneself, your life, for someone of greater value. This is our spiritual worship. The type of, of God-honoring worship that Paul is talking about here in, in chapter 12 is, is so much more than uh, showing up at church. It's so much more than just singing a song. It's everything about the totality of who you are and what you do. That's what Paul's saying. 100% of your life being given to the Lordship. Everything. In Matthew 10, Jesus says it very similar. He says, if you want to find your life, you need to lose it for my sake. And if you lose your life, you will find it. 
That's what he says in verse 39. And we say at Fox Valley Church, the best life on this side of eternity is to surrender your time, your treasures, your talents, your hopes and dreams for the plans and purposes of God. To allow God's mercies, remember the means by which you're to do this life of surrender. It's not try harder. You can't listen to the world's message about do better, work harder. Sure, there's work involved, and we're going to unpack some of that, but this is about allowing the mercies of God to transform us. And it's one of the most difficult things, if not the most difficult thing you will ever do in your life, is to fully surrender it over to God. You are going to talk to people you never thought you'd talk to. You're going to go through things you never thought you'd go through. You're going to say things you never thought you would say, but on the flip side, you're going to have more power and spirit-driven fervor in your life than you ever thought possible. You'll know you're more loved than you ever uh, deemed available for your life. We want that, right? I think all of us would say we want God to work in power in our life, but the question is then, are we willing to sacrifice to make it happen? The text gives us another goal that involves transformation in, in verse 2. This is a popular text this morning. I hope this brings some new life to it for you in your, in your heart. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable <clears throat> and perfect. He gives the negative, don't conform. Do not conform. And what he's trying to say is, don't let secular culture around you, at that time, the Roman Empire, which values things that are very different than the values of God, don't let that squeeze you into its mold. Today, he's saying, don't let uh, some of the politics or don't let some of the popular belief or social status and all these things, don't let that squeeze you into the mold. A, A very helpful visual for those who have young kids or grandparents who play with their grandkids or teachers is Play-Doh, right? You think of Play-Doh, you can make all sorts of fun shapes and, and create really ridiculous things, right? And our kids love to use their creativity to develop things and shape things. And Paul's saying, don't let the world be your molder. Don't let the world be what's, what's bringing uh, your values and who you are. And it happens without even knowing it. I'll give you a little example. I, I got the opportunity to be on uh, a Broadway tour of Greece, the musical, back in 2010. And when I was on tour, I was one of two Christians on that tour bus. And there was about 25 to 35 people somewhere in there. And I was one of two Christians, and I had my little Bible, and I brought it, and I thought, man, I'm going to bring so much light to this place. I'm going to transform this bus for Christ, Right? That didn't happen. I'm going to be honest. That did not happen. Next thing you know, I wasn't reading my Bible. I wasn't talking to people about Jesus. I was being molded and shaped. And honestly, I think that was a big part of my calling in the pastoral ministry is God's like, that's not what I have for you. That's not where you're going to be uh, most effective. It was humbling, but it's so easy for us to be uh, conformed. But he doesn't just start, stop at the negative. He then gives us a positive. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Uh, conformed is outside pressure to make inside change. Conformed is outside pressure to make inside change, and that never lasts because it's not convicted on a value that you have internally. But being transformed, right, is this inside uh, happening, this inside transformation that, that occurs, and it initiates outward action and outward change. And so he's saying don't be conformed by what's going on around you. Be transformed internally to create lasting change. This word transformation is, uh, comes from the word uh, metamorpho, which is where we get our word metamorphosis. 
And it's only used two times in the New Testament when it's spoken of us. It's used in the transfiguration when it's spoken of Jesus. But when it's spoken of us, it's just used two times. One is here. The other is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And this is why I bring it up. Because in 2 Corinthians 3.18, the way that you're transformed is by beholding the glory of God. It doesn't say by doing X, by doing Y, by doing Z. It says, beholding the glory of God, you are transformed. It's passive. And we think a passive is negative, but it's not in this context. And in Romans 12 too, we see a passive imperative. It's a passive command. This transformation in your life must be initiated by something or someone that's not you. That's what it's saying. God in his mercies is going to initiate it. And here's why this is encouraging. If you struggle with change, you struggle to grow You can join with the Apostle Paul saying, why do I do the things I don't want to do and the things I know I should do, I don't do. Let me ask, what's the motivation for your change? What is drawing you and convicting you? And we can turn to the mercies of God um, to do just that. In our transformation, God is the initiator and we are the responder. So as we talk about uh, it's passive, meaning God initiates it, but you play a role in making it happen. You are the responder. You have incredible responsibility in making this happen. And what does our involvement look like? Paul's telling us that it's not to conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The second step to activate a life of ministry, of serving God and serving others, is to renew your mind to truth. What do you think Paul is talking about here when he says the renewal of your mind? Meditation? Hot yoga? Got to say, I want to try that. Looks pretty appealing. Uh, no, God is, uh, Paul is talking about a new mindset for Christians as a result of the mercy of God. Th- there's a strong correlation by how you think and what you do. And this is a very popular idea, not, not just in scripture, but it's a popular idea in uh, the secular world. That there's actually been studies done. I'll just give you an example. I was reading that if you are a smoker, if you smoke and you're trying to quit, Person A says, yeah, I smoke, but I'm trying to quit. Person B says, I'm not a smoker. Person B has a significantly higher chance of not smoking again, even if he just smoked that morning. It's he's identifying, this is not who I am. And we know the scriptures talk about uh, positive thinking in different ways. It's so important uh, to do that. So I, I think that this is an example we could give in, in a biblical context is even going back to the Garden of Eden. What does Satan do? He plants a thought in the mind of Eve and Adam. Did God really say that? Is that really what God meant? And they take this idea, and then that's what leads to the disobedience, the worldly influence that, that is coming at all sides. We need to be active in resisting that. So the question becomes, how do you renew your mind? And the answer is to replace the world's deception with God's word. Replace the word, world's deception with God's word. Uh, Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? Uh, by guarding it according to your word. 
Jesus prayed that the Father would sanctify us in truth. He says that in John 17, 17. And this happens through uh, faithful preaching. It happens through your life groups and your small groups. It happens through equip you classes that we do. Your own personal study in God's word becomes vital as an agent uh, to renew your mind. And I just have to say, I'm so encouraged at Fox Valley Church that so many of you are passionate about truth. I hear it in your amens on Sunday morning. I hear stories about the studies you're doing in life group and the conversations and transformation groups. It's a piece of life groups that we have. And for example, our group, it's three guys. We get together and we ask very hard questions. What sin are you struggling with? Who are you reaching for Christ? What is motivating your life right now? I'm so excited about how I see this happen at Fox Valley Church, but there's no shortcuts in making it happen. And that's significant because we all want the fast track, right? Three ways uh, to get out of debt, three ways uh, to make a lot of money, or, or you can Google search all these silly things, or Amazon, I want this package in two hours. It takes patience, it takes uh, ongoing discipline. The renewal of your mind here, the verb in the Greek is ongoing. So it's not something that happens once when you get baptized by the Spirit, when you're saved. It's an ongoing, daily, continual process. And the reason that Paul tells us to renew our mind, I love how clear Paul is. He doesn't leave us hanging. Uh, The reason is so that we can discern what God's will is. All of us want to know, you know, what is God's will uh, for my life? Because that's what's good, that's what's acceptable, and that's what's perfect. That's what the text says. And if you're even asking that question, like major kudos, good for you, You're trying to discern, what does God want for my life? I mean, that's a huge step in just even asking God that. But I often find, as a pastor, people come and they say, what do you think God is calling me to do? And they want me to just tell it to them. Clearly, it's this. And they can just move on and be like, okay, and just be told what to do. But there's a process that happens. And I think if we want to discern the will of God, if we're going to believe our text, we have to renew our minds. And so let me have you fill in this sentence. I am filling my mind with blank. Just take a moment. I am filling my mind with. What images come to your mind? What videos come to your mind? Maybe what scriptures come to your mind? I was in a I had a procedure done a couple weeks ago where I had to go under, which is not fun at all. And, you know, they, they, it's, you're so vulnerable, right? They, they put you in this robe, and you're naked, and you have to get, everyone's asking you all these intense questions, and you get rolled back, and you're laying down, and they're talking to you. And, and I had anxiety. I mean, like a kind of anxiety that I don't typically get. And so I just repeated Isaiah 41.10. I mean, over and over again. I had that scripture on my mind. I had filled my mind with it in discipline. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. So do not fear, for I am with you. And I just kept repeating it over and over again until finally I went, you know, conked out. And then I woke up in a different room and had no idea where I was, right? But that gave me peace in those last moments before I actually went under. Uh, let me give a different example. And then, because I, I want you to always know that as pastors, we're not superhumans. We're, we're, we're very much so sinners who desperately need grace. And one of the things that I was convicted about is Netflix. 
And I love watching TV shows. I appreciate good acting, good directing, good scripts. And so I love getting transported into another world. And so that, that, that was, that's an ongoing thing. Now with kids, that went from like three hours to like 35 minutes, you know. But I still enjoy doing it. And whenever you turn a program on, at the top left corner, you'll see a rating. And I'm telling you how often it says TVMA, violence, nudity, sexual content, self-harm, drugs, gore, you know, and so on. And I, in pride, have felt like over the years, that is not going to affect me. I won't start swearing. I won't start watching pornography. I won't start having these thoughts. And that is so foolish. Maybe I can't even see how it's impacting me, which is actually more scary so I, I just want you to consider, what are, are you watching and looking at that you're having your mind feast on? And is it renewing your mind? Second Corinthians 10, 5, Paul says, uh, we destroy arguments in every lofty position, or every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to Christ. What do you need to take captive to Christ this morning? What thought or fear or anxiety do you need to take captive to Christ and fill it with God's truth. We need to think soberly about this. And in verses three to eight, Paul kind of shifts from our own transformation to how transformation looks as we serve the body and as we serve Christ's church. It gets worked out in a local faith community, just like Fox Valley. I'm gonna read uh, verses three here, or just, just verse three. It says this, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He gives the negative, don't think too highly of yourself, but then he gives the positive, have sound or sober judgment. The third step to living a life uh, of ministry is to think with sober judgment. Don't overestimate yourself. Another way to say it is have humility. We have so much scriptures that talk about uh, humility. I want to share a story. Summer of 2016, I was part of a softball team at Fox Valley Church. <clears throat> now, growing up, I was pretty athletic. I'm just going to say, I was pretty athletic. I was good at a lot, but I wasn't really great at anything. But one of the things I was good at was baseball. I was good at baseball. And so when we had this Fox Valley sign up and someone asked me if I wanted to join, I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to show these people I can do more than just sing, right? So I joined the team, and I start struggling a little bit in practice, and then, and then getting into the game, like, I'm like 0 for 3, 0 for 3, 0 for 2. I start moving back in the batting order, you know what I mean? It brings out such insecurity as you keep getting bumped. And finally, let me paint this picture. We're playing the best team in the league, and, and we're not very good, let me just clarify. But uh, we're playing the best team in the league, and we are, I'm up to bat. And I just like launched the ball. By the way, it's a 16-inch ball. I didn't know the significance of that, right? So different than baseball. This giant saw, you don't even use gloves. It's crazy. Okay, anyway, I launched this ball into left field, and I'm like, there it is, right? I roll my ankle on my first step, land on the other foot, and it felt like time froze for at least 10 minutes. I'm telling you, uh, you remember, Emily, I know. And I just start hopping on this leg because I'm scared I'm going to fall on my hurt ankle. And then I go kaput, face in the dirt. 
everybody's laughing at me. I mean, the other team's laughing, the bench, my own team is laughing, my church in the stands are laughing, my wife's laughing, everybody thinks this is hilarious that I just fell. And they actually, the left fielder threw me out the first base. I'm there crawling, trying to get to the first base. And I just fought. They had to send a go or, uh, I was going to say a go-kart. They had to send a golf cart to come in, pick me up, take me to my car so my wife could drive me home. Don't think too highly of yourself, right? <laughs> God has a funny way. I think I was out for the season. I don't even know if I even made it back. That one hit didn't even land on first base. Um, don't think too highly of yourself. And, and we, we can understand this from different angles, right? Uh, how sometimes we, we have pride in what we do or even how we think and how we compare ourselves to others. Uh, Paul says, though, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, right? We know in Scripture that, that God has distributed faith in different ways that we don't fully understand, but we shouldn't compare ourselves uh, to other people or think too highly. And in verses 4 and 5, now Paul is talking about how our, tr- our transformation should change our thinking toward other people. Verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members, one of another. Paul is uh, bringing in a metaphor of a body to describe our purpose as Christians. This new, transformed, sacrificial life has a purpose, and it's to serve, to serve God's church through spiritual gifts. And verse 6 through 8, Paul goes on to list some of those gifts. Let's read about it. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving the one who teaches and is teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. These are not an exhaustive list of seven gifts. We read about others in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter 4, but maybe you resonate with some of these, and I wish I had more time to really unpack what each of these could look like in a local church. But uh, the fourth step to activate a life of ministry is to serve with your grace-given gifts. To serve. When you find out your gift, don't sit on it. Actually serve with it. And Paul gives us some helpful information uh, about these gifts. The first thing he says is, uh, gifts are diverse in the body of Christ. Members do not all have the same function. That's the text. That's the scripture that he says. He's emphasizing the unity that comes through diversity. Just as your body is so diverse, your eye is so different than your arm or your leg or your mouth, this metaphor is supposed to help us see what we need uh, to be whole. And just like when all the body parts work together, had activates a healthy life. So in the spiritual community of God, when all of this is working together, all these gifts, it's a healthy, thriving church body. And here's something I want to sit on for a minute, that God has uniquely gifted you. I hear way too much people downplaying their gift. God has uniquely gifted you. Let's do a little exercise. Um, Get your thumb out like this. Come on, everybody, do it. Let's do it together. Okay, now look at your thumb. Turn it around. It's a little awkward, but that's okay. We'll do it together. Turn around and look at your thumb, and look at those little lines. Look at that fingerprint. There is no one else in the world with that fingerprint. Isn't that a profound thought? There is literally no part of you that is cloned 
are replicated. God had such a unique and intense purpose for your life. And I think we need to capitalize on the fact that no one can do what each of us can do. Let me say it again. You need to capitalize on the fact that no one in this church can do exactly what you can do. That's not prideful. That's understanding that God is using diversity to bring out the body of Christ. We're all equal in Christ, all of us. We tend to focus on gifts we don't have, we're jealous, or we downplay our gifts, as I was just sharing, or we, we think, you probably don't say this, but you think, man, God sure flexed his muscles when he made that person, but he had a brain fart when he made me, right? Why would God make me the way that I am? It's blasphemy to question how God made you. Like, you know how pride can, can sneak in in multiple ways? It's the obvious boasting, look at me and look what I can do. But it's also the self-sulking. I'm not good enough, I can't do this. It's just thinking about ourselves too much. Think about the mercies of God, what God did for you and how he's uniquely gifted you. This is how the spiritual body is working. This is what Paul is trying to say. Just like each of our body parts needs, needs the other, we as a church need one another. I mean, think about it. Some of you have lost a limb. Uh, you have had issues with your eyes or your mouth. And just, we take our body for granted. And as soon as we lose something, we feel it. You sprain your thumb and you're like, I can't do anything right, in my life because I need my thumb for everything. And, and so on. We need one another. Uh, the, the next thing Paul brings out is that gifts are distributed by God for the body of Christ. Right, according to the grace given to us. Don't think you've earned your gift on your own. Don't give yourself too much credit because you developed it. You have cultivated this gift to what it is today, not God. Don't be in that prideful spot. And sometimes even ministry can bring a source of pride. Look, look what I can do. God, you chose the right guy for the job. I'm clearly the person you want out there in the field, you know? Maybe our, re- our response should be, God, why would you ever use me? Why? I'm so, I'm so messed up, but you have empowered me. You have changed me. Thank you for using me. We tend to compare ourselves to other people, and we just can't get, we can't stop it. We can't stop comparing ourselves to other people. Don't do it. Jesus is the measuring stick. He's the head. He's the one we're seeking after being sanctified into, not the person next to you. And whatever that person is trying to portray of having their life together, I promise you, they do not. My wife and I went to a track meet on Thursday night. I used to run, and we're at this track meet, and there's a huge hill at Jacobs High School, and our kids are running down the hill. I mean, falling left and right. All these people are watching this show happen, and then we get one cute picture with all three of them just watching at the fence. And I told Emily, I was totally kidding. I said, you should post, what an amazing time at the field. Kids enjoy the track meet so much. (laughs) It's ridiculous, right? But that's what people do. If you're honest, you like to portray the good, and it's okay to portray the good, but let's not fool anybody like any of us have it uh, together. And I know as, as with parents, we do this a lot. We compare how our kids behave with other people's kids. God's made all these kids unique. Stop thinking your kid is acting like baby Jesus acted, right? All, all of us, right? All of us are just trying to love our kids the best that we can. Don't play the comparison game. Okay, the next one is gifts are unleashed in the body of Christ. Paul says, let us use them It's going to take discipline to maximize your gift in the church. But I want to encourage you, uh, circling back to what our sister Kate brought us into earlier in the service, is to take a spiritual gifts test 
If you couldn't identify a three or four or something of understanding what your gift is, or the previous question, which is, do you understand the purpose of spiritual gifts? Maybe if you take that survey now, you'll give a little bit higher, I hope. It's for the building up of the church, right? But I, and to display Jesus Christ to the world. But if you don't know your gifts, that's the first step. Is a spiritual gifts assessment the best way? No, probably not. The best way is for you and your community to tell people, wow, clearly you have the gift of faith because I see how you're walking through this trial. Wow, you have the gift of mercy. The way you come alongside people when they're going through hardship and write them cards. Wow, you have the gift of teaching. When you've shared in our life group, I just see God moving through you sharing scripture. That's how we should affirm each other. And let's be honest, we probably stink at that. I mean, I even look at myself in the life group in the past six months. How often have I affirmed someone in my life group, this is a spiritual gift of yours? Maybe once, maybe twice, but that should be an active part of our small group community. So take the gift uh, test, because it is something, it is helpful, right? And and the second is this, to text the number on the card to have a follow-up conversation. The staff's job at this church is to equip you to do the work of the ministry, to serve God and serve other people. That is our job. We have a ministry called Equip You. We want you to feel sufficient in your knowledge and your passion for God that you can walk into the world and be a light for Christ. So we want to help you. I would gladly come alongside you, any of the staff would, to help you understand what your gift is and how you could use that specifically at Fox Valley Church. And it's really so much more than filling a slot. This is the art of servanthood. We're teaching you to be more like Jesus It's not just about programming. It's about you understanding what Jesus came to do, to serve, not to be served. It's so important. You can't use your gifts if you don't know them, and you can't use your gifts if you're living in isolation. Psalm 111 says, God redeemed a people for himself. The Christian life is not to be lived alone, no matter how much you want to do it alone. It's really important that you're part of a local church. So if you're visiting with us, We'd love for you to stay at Fox Valley, but if you don't, go find a local church. Don't bounce around. If you're online, we're really glad that you are watching this content. And some of you, you have to be online or you don't have a local church around you. It's so amazing to see that people even around the world tune in to our live stream. But if it is at all possible, online community who is at home, if it is at all possible, find a local church. This is not, you viewing this is not God's plan for the church. Be part of the incarnate body. And those of you who actually are local and just choose to not come in for reasons, let me say it a little differently. For those of you who are not coming in, but you can, we need you, and let's be honest, you need us. You need us to help come around you and encourage you, and we need you to bring your spiritual gift I love what the women's ministry is doing. They're having this event to bring women together, and they're talking about friendships. It's our value of meaningful relationships. How can we do life on life with people and help one another grow? The Christian walk's not supposed to be in isolation. Paul is saying, let us use these gifts so we can be a healthy uh, church family. Uh, I want to close with just a couple questions for you to think about, an invitation to think about how you can walk away a little changed this morning. Uh, The first one, is what is standing in the way from you being all in? Giving your life. I, I wish I could have unpacked verses one and two for 35 minutes. And this idea of a sacrifice and what prevents us and what sins we're struggling with. But what is it in your own heart that's preventing you from being all in? And, and secondly, what do you need to do today to contribute to the health of this body? Not next year, not next month. 
What do you need to do today? What is God calling you to do? None of us can define that. It's between you and God. God's uniquely gifted you. Uh, We have an opportunity this morning to uh, break bread together. The early church was doing this. We can read about it in Acts chapter 2. We're united in a lot of saints who have gone before us. But before we do, I just want to take us into a time of prayer to prepare our hearts. Um, Father, God, we uh, are the church. And as the church, you have an immense plan for us. And Father, would we sense calling from you? Would we renew our minds so we can discern your will for our life? What are you calling us to do? God, will we recognize that transformation is not us putting on our bootstraps and trying harder. It's by the mercies of God, what we are about to partake in, the ultimate mercy on the cross. Would that motivate us this morning? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Throughout uh, the Bible, uh, God reveals a a plan for redemption. Let me first say, actually, if you didn't get a communion cup, just raise your hand, and someone from the First Impressions team uh, can can pass you one of these. And also, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you've never trusted Christ, I want to ask that you don't partake this morning, but I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really glad that you're asking questions. You're looking, God's drawing you in. Keep doing that, and we want to come alongside of you. I see some of you are already getting out your your elements, which is good. It can take a couple minutes to open sometimes. Um, But throughout the Bible, uh, God reveals his plan of redemption through a series of covenants. We see this with Abraham. Uh, We see this with uh, Moses, with David, and then ultimately we see it uh, in the new covenant. But why did these covenants, these promises need to happen because of our rebellion, because of our sin, God had to figure out an action plan. And he had a plan. I just want to take a moment and reflect on that sin. Maybe as I asked you to fill in that statement, I'm filling my mind with some sinful things just came up. Or maybe what's preventing you from giving your life on the altar of God, some things came up. Just just take a moment. Let's reflect on that before we go to take these. God's plan for redeeming his people was ultimately through the new covenant of grace for you and for me. And hundreds of years before Jesus came, the prophet Jeremiah God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31 talking about this very covenant. Here's what he said. God said, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Thank you, God. Thank you that you take my ugly rebellion, my sin, and you declare, I will remember it no more because I have a plan. I have a plan. Jesus instituted this new covenant by his death on the cross, and he gave us communion, the Lord's Supper, as a way for us to remember the ultimate mercy that Jesus demonstrated on the cross that broke this bondage of sin. And don't you love church family, don't you love that our God went through everything and some that he calls us to go through? 
He literally gave his life as a living sacrifice on the cross. He came not to be served, but to serve, to live a life of ministry. And he asks you and me to do the same thing. In Luke chapter 22, uh, Jesus talks about this bread. It says, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, and he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Father, thank you for your ultimate mercy. Dying on the cross, we remember what you've done from the cross to the grave. Heaven and surely us on earth proclaim you are our king. You are our God. And we allow these mercies to initiate the change, God, that not only honors you, that's not only our spiritual worship, but God, it's the best life on this side of eternity to surrender to your plans, to your purposes. We thank you for what you've done, and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen.